0: You're listening to the Charity Champions podcast. Each year, TFNB Your Bank for Life chooses six nonprofits from around Central Texas to recognize as Charity Champions. Tonight's Charity Champion is Champions enjoy live on-field presentations at Baylor University home football and basketball games, online broadcast, and print marketing exposure, and world-class leadership development through 360 Solutions, all at no cost to the nonprofit. In this podcast, we want to get to know our charity champions a little better. We're bringing those who help and those who have been helped into the studio to hear the stories behind the champions. On this podcast, Unbound.
1: We have over 35 million slaves globally. We have more than any other time in history. Every country has laws against slavery and every country has it.
0: Executive Director Susan Peters talks to us about Unbound's mission to raise awareness about human trafficking.
1: Making relationships with strangers on social media that are much older, seeing any kind of sexualized pictures and conversations is a huge red flag that they are getting themselves in a very dangerous situation.
0: She also explains how this charity champion works with law enforcement to help victims through their own restoration process.
1: They can recognize that they now have a drug issue, that they're in full-out rebellion in their homes and having a lot of conflict. They're dating someone or hanging out with people that their parents don't approve of. But they do not identify themselves as someone manipulating them for their own gain.
0: This is the first of a three-part series on human trafficking in Central Texas. Next episode, we'll talk with McLennan County Sheriff Parnell McNamara about how law enforcement is coming together to crack down on traffickers. And in our final episode, we'll talk to a victim of human trafficking that's become an outspoken advocate. Make sure and listen to all three episodes. And now, let's get to know our champion. All right, Susan, welcome to the podcast. If you could start by just kind of introducing yourself to everyone.
1: Okay, I'm Susan Peters and I'm the executive director for Unbound and our headquarters are here in Waco, Texas, and we have chapters around the nation and also um, Mongolia and Cambodia.
0: Whoa. Okay. That's all over the place. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of explain to people what Unbound is?
1: Okay. Unbound is an anti-human trafficking organization. Really, it started in 2012. Previous to that, I traveled internationally a lot with my job with um, Antioch Ministries International, visited a lot of our missionaries, and just hearing more and more stories about human trafficking, all, all the nations we went to, and just started praying and journaling, saying, man, we've got to do something about this. And so we formed Unbound in 2012, really thinking we'd do more international work. But when we started researching how much domestic minor sex trafficking particularly was happening right here in our own communities and our communities across the nation, we knew we had to start here, so that's where we started.
0: How do you guys exactly do that?
1: We really have focused on three main areas. Um, Number one is prevention. We want to get anywhere where vulnerable people are, boys and girls, young women, and prevent this from ever happening. The recovery from someone who's been lured in and pulled into human trafficking, particularly sex trafficking, is extremely difficult to overcome. And so we want to go to schools, assemblies, classrooms, uh, group homes. We're in the juvenile detention center every week. Really anywhere we can to educate um, young people, vulnerable people, young women on Social media safety, you know, that's usually where the pimps and traffickers lure vulnerable Mm. people in. So we want to educate them on the tactics of a trafficker to try to keep them safe from this ever happening. So prevention. And then the second tier is professional training. We go anywhere to train people on how to recognize human trafficking victims so they can report it so we can be the eyes and ears for our community to protect people. And that's incredibly rewarding because when the community is educated on it, they see it and call law enforcement, call us, hospitals call us, schools call us, you know, all kinds of cases from that. Um, We've even trained the people that take the trash, you know, collect our trash for us. And I thought, oh, I wonder why they want us to come. And then I was like, that's brilliant. They're in the alleys. They know the streets. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's just amazing where um, people want to know, hey, I hear about this. I want to be part of the answer. So and then the third thing is survivor advocacy, because when we train, when we get out there, Then we get the calls from the schools, from the hospitals, social workers, law enforcement, on cases, moms, um, and we want to advocate for those victims and survivors to get them the resources they need to recover their life.
0: Do you actually help them monetarily or house them, or how does that work?
1: Any way we can. Okay. We go on site with law enforcement because they're trained to be afraid of law enforcement, so we partner with them um, in a big way um, so that we can say, hey, I'm not law enforcement, I'm not an attorney, I'm not a probation officer, I'm here just to help you. I work with an organization that cares about people like you. And so then we just assess what their needs are, immediate needs, whether it's medical, clothes, food, safe shelter, long-term counseling, um, whatever it is, we just work ferociously to find that. And we formed the Heart of Texas Human Trafficking Coalition in 2015, because no one agency can really impact this. We need the whole community and the resources available in a community to help these survivors and victims. And so we have over 90 um, partners in the coalition that resource together to take care of these victims and really stop it here.
0: You mentioned that you thought all of your work was going to be overseas and you're noticing that there's a lot of stuff here. How does that work? How does someone spot human trafficking here?
1: Well, primarily what we see, we served 50 victims last year within the coalition 90. That tells you the scope, just in, and that's just out of our headquarters, uh, McLennan County, so that doesn't even count the other chapters. And primarily what we see are young people, you know, age 12 to 20, where they are meeting people on social media, and they're receiving Facebook messages, Instagram messages, all kinds of kick um, from people they don't know. And these perpetrators, male or female, mostly male, build relationships with a vulnerable person, and these people will go meet them. And so they end up getting a relationship with them, whether they think it's a boyfriend, some kind of protector, older person, or even a female friend, and they get lured away. Usually they get introduced to more drugs, sexualized behavior, and then get lured into being trafficked. So that is primarily what we see. So what we tell the community are, when you see drastic changes in particularly a young person, there's, all of a sudden there's sexualized dressing, conversations that are just not appropriate for a young person disappearing overnight running away a couple days at a time you know there's they a lot of them can be trafficked at night on weekends and they're still going to school but they're gonna start missing school they're gonna have a drastic decline in their education interest they're gonna drop out of you know their curricular activities those kinds of things are pretty typical the sexting has become so prevalent And I'm not saying that the kids that are caught up in that are being trafficked, but it is a big flag to human traffickers. When they're seeing someone already engaging in risky behavior, it doesn't take a lot for them to kind of pull them into this. And so those are things that, you know, parents and teachers and administrators, we need an answer to to help them because they're putting things out there that they can be blackmailed for and pulled into human trafficking. We see that quite frequently.
0: When I think of human trafficking, traditionally, it's been almost like a, a slave type of situation. But you're saying in this situation, it's over time, you know, they, they build this relationship over months, maybe yeah. years. Yeah. And they, they kind of make it so it's not even they, they know they're in that situation. Oh, yeah.
1: And that's, what's, that's what makes it very difficult for social service providers, law enforcement, attorneys, us. Because most victims don't recognize themselves as a victim. They can recognize that they now have a drug issue. That they're in full out rebellion in their homes and having a lot of conflict, they're dating someone or hanging out with people that their parents don't approve of. They can identify those, but they do not identify themselves as someone manipulating them for their own gain. Over and over again, I'll meet young women and I'm saying, But you are the one working 12, 15 men a day, $100 a pop, $200 a pop, and you hand 100% of that money over to that pimp. Do you not see that? he is profiting off of you and it's like no he's taking care of me this is an arrangement we've made we're saving up to do a b or c you know a lot of times it's like that and so they have been so manipulated and so brainwashed and then they have what we call trauma bonding which if you're familiar with the stockholm syndrome Mm, it's, it's very similar trauma bonds are when you have a vulnerable person you know vulnerability is I want to belong I want to feel loved I want to be taken care of I want to know where I'm gonna to sleep tonight mm-hmm. I want to have food you know they, they look and say what is that vulnerability though they don't have a stable place to live I'll provide that and then they say hey you owe me you know and then they kind of pull them into that and so you when you mix care and love with physical beatings Manipulation, berating, which all comes together with these victims, then they form bonds because their brain has to make sense of it and has to protect themselves. And so, most of the time, I would say 99.9% of the time, if you intercept a young person, a young woman, young boy, or man, and you're saying, Hey, do you have a pimp? Do you have a trafficker? They're going to say, Nope, nope, they're going to protect him. And so it's difficult. And you have to really understand that dynamic to be able to help these survivors.
0: When you're talking to people, are you looking for this at-risk behavior? So someone who maybe has a a terrible family situation or they feel neglected or like you talked about, they don't know where their next meal is going to come from or where their bed's going to be. That Right. Long.
1: Yeah. And so they'll, you know, we have a large population. We have 1500 homeless and unaccompanied youth just within McLennan County. Hmm. And so that's a vulnerable population that need a place to stay, that need food, that need a cell phone. I mean, there's vulnerabilities that these people say, Hey, I've got a place you can stay. You can stay with me. And then Coerce them into sexualized behavior with them, and then start selling them. Those kinds of things are pretty characteristic of of our victims, and so it it's difficult. So if you see them in school, and you're like, "Well, where where are they getting their needs met? Who where are they sleeping? You know, what is that relationship? Why why is there such an age differentiation? That's a big red flag. Historically, tattoos have been a big part of pimp culture, where they brand and 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 put tattoos on the girls it'll say you know daddy's girl money back you know how about money or something like that gang symbols gangs are getting into selling girls for their money because we have communicated that so much to the public they're actually getting away from the tattoos a little more but I've even seen barcodes on three different individuals oh, wow which is really the old school transatlantic slave days you are property you are only here to make me money I, I uh, talked with a survivor just a couple days ago. She said when I she had a drug issue, and so the guy started providing drugs, and then started selling her, and she was caught in that life for several years, and she's out now, and she's working. And she said, I never knew that I was good with numbers. I never knew I, you know, that I could do this job so well. She said, when you're in that life. They tell you, you, you're a hoe, you're nothing, that's all you're good for. She goes, I had no idea that I had any other talents because they're mm. just brainwashed to fit into this culture and this is what you can do and that's all you're good for. And so she's even just coming alive saying, I'm really good at this and I'm really good at business. I really have value to where I work and it was so exciting to hear that.
0: Without getting into actual specifics of people, have you had any big success stories that really touch your heart?
1: Yeah, we have. One, success story. We had a few years ago, we had um, actually a girl front page newspaper that was charged as a trafficker. She was only 21. They got her and the mail. What happened is a couple of kids had run away from a group home here in town and they had pulled these two girls into human trafficking. And so they were arrested. Well, in our office, we were like, oh good, they caught him. But then I'm like, she's 21 years old. She's a victim turned trafficker because Mm. that's what happens and then I get a phone call and it's from the mom and the mom says can you help us my daughter's caught in human trafficking she's being charged as a trafficker and so I went to the jail to see her and she was a beautiful young girl smart she was adopted um, from another country and by a loving family, they were really trying their best, but she had that, a lot of times, there's kind of that trauma through the orphanage kind of thing. She never could attached really well. So there's a vulnerability of relational equity with people, and that's mm-hmm. how this trafficker got her. But they loved her. She had a, she had an intact family that supported her. She had a good education. But when I talked to her, you could tell she, she wanted out of that life. She got caught up in it. She went off to college. She got into a bad relationship, and then she got wooed away by a pimp. And so we were able to secure her with the DA's office into a safe house. She did a program for 18 months. She came out. It was, you know, it's always a little bit bumpy until she kind of got her feet under. And she's been doing amazing. And she speaks for us. And um, just in the last six months, she's on staff with um, Unbound Fort Worth and speaks. And she's doing really, really, really well. And to hear her tell her story and to give back is really rewarding.
0: Is that common for a trafficker who's a male to find like a female that they can use to maybe, are they... Using that female to put the other females at ease?
1: What they do is, you know, a trafficker can be a solo guy who has one or two girls, or it can be a sophisticated network, gangs, the mafia, business. It's a lot of money. And so typically, a pimper trafficker will have maybe three to five girls, could have more. And the one that's been with them the longest, they call the bottom. They actually call them bottom something else but I don't say that Um, and they call that group of girls a stable and they try to paint a picture that that's their family and so the one that's been there the longest is the enforcer she usually will give them the drugs um, train them on what to do what to say how to negotiate things like that collect the money from the girls things like that and that's a very very challenging thing because now you've got a victim turned perpetrator so that can be very, very complicated.
2: What kind of money are we talking about for the traffickers?
1: Oh, you are talking a lot of money. One girl can make them $100,000 a year. Mm. And so that's tax-free money. So it is a lot. It is it's not unusual for us to see pimps and traffickers drive up in a paid-for Lexus, have $15,000 in the console. You know it's it's a lot of money
2: you mentioned earlier about how you sometimes go with the police Mm -hmm. okay so just kind of describe what that's like
1: okay there's two two different scenarios well there's many different scenarios I'll give you one one time I was on the way home and um, one of our assistant chiefs called me and said you know someone located in the community a young girl being pulled into a truck at the truck stop he said, I know she's a trafficking victim. I know she's young. She won't tell me her name, how old she is, where she's from. And so I met them over at the police station, and I went in and interviewed her, and I explained to her what human trafficking was, and you could just see the light bulbs come on in her eyes. And she said, I told my mama that. I told my grandma that. They didn't believe me. This girl said, you know, she was, I, think, I can't remember now if she was 15 or 16. I think she was 16. And she was from the Dallas area. She was walking home from school, and an older man was saying, give me your number, give me your number, give me your number, and she didn't want to, and she finally gave him a fake number, and then the next day he grabbed her and said, you didn't give me the right number, and give me the number now, I'm going to make the phone call. And he started pretty much blackmailing her. First it started making her sell drugs and then giving her quotas on the drugs, wasn't making the quotas, it said, you've got to make up the money somehow, and then pulled her into this and then was taking her all over the country.
2: Right, and so as he's talking to her, he's probably thinking, if I can get her on board. Oh,
1: yeah. It's a lot of money. Mm. But it destroys these young people's lives. I mean, you just spiritually, emotionally, relationally, physically, it's absolutely destructive. And it's, you know, important that we're out there. And, you know, in the other areas that we've partnered with law enforcement are going into massage parlors. Those women are typically Asian women that don't speak English. They live on the premises. And it's labor trafficking at its Worst, You know, they they get paid a certain amount, but then they have to pay room and board. They can't leave the premises. Traffickers usually out of town, comes by once a week, picks up the money and brings them five pound bag of rice or potatoes or may take them to the store, let them pick out some food and bring it back. Everyone I've been in has surveillance where they are watched on live cam all the time. I mean, it's absolutely slavery. Okay, and so that, that has
2: gone on here in Waco?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, we've shut down several massage parlors.
2: Okay, are, are these girls illegal?
1: You know, that's interesting. These Chinese networks are really smart. <laughs> and so they actually are doing a legal process to get them their documents.
2: So they're coming into the country uh-huh. legally?
1: They're coming in as a tourist legally, and then these networks are working towards mm. getting them their legal documents. And that makes it difficult because initially we were like, hey, you know, we want to help you get into a different life, help you get your documents, things like that. And they're reluctant to leave that network because they're already far down the road with their documents. Right. And it, it's a very, very complex situation. But absolutely. And these these women, these are not your normal massage parlors. These are advertised on websites that are advertising sex. They look, you know, they're they're right out in public. If you look around, they're everywhere on strip malls and things like that. But you go in and they do a massage and offer, they have to offer sex. We've had phone calls where they're saying, hey, I thought I was going to be the manager of a massage parlor or I was going to be a masseuse, and they're saying that I have to do these sex favors, you know. And so every one of them are mandated to do that.
2: Okay, so of all the human trafficking that goes on in the country, I'm talking about the United States, are most of them serviced by illegals or citizens
1: citizens most of the human trafficking within the u.s are u.s citizens
2: and most of it is uh, with regard to the sex industry
1: there's more labor trafficking than sex trafficking okay
2: so there's more labor trafficking yes yes but you focus on we
1: focus on sex trafficking but labor trafficking is huge and we don't have enough organizations really helping them and it's a complicated right situation
2: well you mentioned something earlier about the tattooing and you didn't use this word but uh, I think this is what you meant. It's almost as if the tattooing is like the branding of cattle.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Is, yeah. Am I reading too much into that? No,
1: no, no. It's exactly what it is because it's, you know, they take an individual and they rename them. Mm-hmm. They give them an advertising name. So they don't call them by their name anymore. They dye their hair. They replace their clothes with sexualized clothes. They reframe their network of community in this small, small environment pornography is going constantly to reshape their mind and they're berated, told that's all they're good for. So it takes this person very far from where they once were.
2: Right. Well, the reason I asked that is because I'm I'm reminded earlier where you talked about the girl who told her mother and her mother didn't believe her. Right. I would think that most people would have difficulty believing a story like that because who would be that inhuman? yeah, to actually go to the extent of branding someone like cattle? Yeah, it sounds to me that uh, one of the things y'all are involved in is is the education of the public yes. about what this is?
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. That's a big thing we did. We just got through a big awareness um, Friday night. We call it our Not in My City event that we have um, once a year in Attorney Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton came. And we're so pleased with the support we have within our community and our community leaders. So our chief of police is there, our sheriff's there, Congressman Flores, Senator Birdwell, Representative Doc Anderson, you know, just great community support, Judge Coley, just super thankful that the leaders in our community are saying, hey, we're going to be proactive on protecting the most vulnerable in our community. And so it's happening all over the nation. So we're not going to stick our head in the sand. We're going to say, hey, how do we educate and protect the vulnerable and say, not in my city. Mm -hmm. We're not going to allow this.
2: Yeah. What would be the one or two biggest red flags to parents in this area that their daughter is being drawn into this? Maybe hasn't taken that last step, but is being drawn into this because of circumstances.
1: Yeah, I would say you really have to look at the social media. I think parents are hesitant to, they feel like it's invasive, but in today's day, you just have to, I think that's a parent's responsibility to protect their young people. And young people wanna be protected, even though they fight you. Mm -hmm. And the (laughs) making relationships with strangers on social media that are much older and seeing any kind of sexualized pictures and conversations is a huge red flag that they are getting themselves in a very dangerous situation.
2: Yeah. So, how often does trafficking go on with the girl actually still living at home with her parents? Has
1: that ever happen? Oh, mostly. They're most. That's mostly what happens. Is um, they're not kidnapped and taken out of state mm-hmm. and that kind of thing very often. It's mostly they may take them a few cities away for the weekend or a couple of days. So they're disappearing and you're thinking they're running away and they're coming back. But most of the time they are they are still at home and leaving and then eventually will leave.
2: Right. So they're being groomed to leave permanently.
1: Yes. Yes. Once okay. they turn 18. Yeah. I think traffickers are starting to watch that. It's a much, much stiffer penalty for trafficking an underage girl. Any any child who's under the age of 18 who is involved in the commercial sex industry, that could be pornography, strip clubs, uh, being sold for sex, prostituting, anything like that, that is a sex trafficking victim, a human trafficking victim. You don't have to prove when they're 18 or under and they're involved in that life, you don't have to prove force, fraud or coercion um, for human trafficking. Uh, under 18 cannot be in that industry. Mm-hmm. They, they are protected under law as a human trafficking victim. 18 and older, you have to prove force, fraud, or coercion once they are pulled into this.
2: Yeah, so what are the criminal penalties for someone who is convicted of trafficking in the context we're talking about, uh, an underaged girl?
1: Underage can be anywhere from 10 to 99, depending on what the charges are and those kinds of things.
2: So, someone convicted of this is um, could be in jail for decades, and it could cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars in in revenue that they are experiencing and uh, unbound staff has a role to play in that happening to them. I would think that uh, unbound staff are a target of groups like this
1: no, you know I mean I mean obviously it's you know we count the cost and all that kind of thing, but we feel very safe we okay take a lot of precautions. We do not go and approach a victim, a trafficker, a buyer. We give that information that we get and we partner with law enforcement, let law enforcement do what they do, Mm -hmm. which is go after the bad guys. We don't go after the bad guys. And so we maintain our position of prevention, training, and then come alongside to help the victims that are recovered.
2: Okay. How will you know that you've been successful? and what you're doing.
1: You know, I think we're successful when the community knows about it. They understand the elements of it and they are signing up to be a part of protecting our community from this. That's success. You know, having more and more trainings, getting in schools, doing assemblies, so that students can be empowered to combat this, maybe even be called into fields that would continue to work against this and stop this in our in our world. I mean, globally, we have over 35 million slaves globally. We have more than any other time in history. Every country has laws against slavery and every country has it. And so I think success is educating young people, giving them the opportunity to work in this field. And whether they're a physician, an attorney, a teacher, in social services, I mean, all those people being aware of that protects people and can stop this. So I think that's success. What keeps me up at night is thinking about how many are out there that we didn't find. Mm-hmm. So success to me is keep the phone ringing ringing. Keep the mamas calling. Keep the law enforcement calling us. I don't care if they call us in the middle of the night. I mean, I can get emotional about that. Success is let us go get them. Let us go find them. Let us go recover them. Let's fight for them.
2: Well, it sounds to me that uh, in order for something comprehensive to change or move the needle on this, it would have to be something changed culturally.
1: I think it's culturally and legislatively. Legislatively, we are working really hard, and I think Texas is leading the way. There's some great laws that are coming to pass that empower the attorneys, the law enforcement and DAs to really go against the buyers, really come against the traffickers. Those things have to be implemented well. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not, but we're getting better about that. Second thing is you're right, culturally. Unfortunately, we have such a sexualized culture Mm. and, you know, we've put up with commercials. We've put up with So many things that are crossing the boundaries and really victimizing women, you know, showing them in such a degrading light. Pornography is a hellacious feeder of human trafficking, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, 50% of our victims are videotaped and put out there for pornography. One out of five images of pornography are of an underage person. So it's driving up the demand for people acting out sexually, whereas, you know, 10, 20 years ago, that wasn't the case. But it's driving up that demand to go act out. I think those are some big, big hurdles that we need to tackle in our c- culture.
2: Yeah. If you can make one change legally, what law would you would you change?
1: I would say stricter penalties for buyers. Because it's a supply and demand business. If we didn't have businessmen, teachers, electricians, laborers wanting to buy sex at the rate that they are right now, we wouldn't have pimps out there luring away the supply, which is our young people. And the only way to really stop it is to hold the buyers accountable for our community. We you know, we, we do put their pictures on the news because the number one reason that buyers say I would stop doing this they said is if someone found out my family found out my boss found out my community found out and so when we put their pictures up and say they are buyers driving up the demand of human trafficking and victimizing these young people then it's saying as a community we will not tolerate this kind of Mm -hmm. behavior and so right now I don't think it's strong enough for the buyers I think they get a slap on the wrist and I think people need to understand it's not two consenting adults you know, 90% of the people out there being sold have a pimp or a trafficker that gets 100% of their money. And they are, every one of our girls have been locked in trunks, beaten, absolutely berated. They have no opportunity to leave, to get an education, to get their health in order, to make choices for themselves. Yeah.
2: Well, Susan, I think you're even speaking about those that are above 18.
1: Oh, yes, 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 I am. Okay, a lot absolutely. of times when
2: people hear about consenting adults, they yes. think 18 and above, it's all Right. You know, and what you have described in terms of the mentality, the yes. bra- brainwashing yeah. that goes on, uh, how could they ever consent to it?
1: Right, absolutely. Absolutely. It's not yeah. to it's not it's not to consenting adults. I don't care if they're 20, 25, 35. Right. That's not two consenting adults. And they're they're trained to say the right thing, to smile or do whatever. They, they have to do that or they will get beaten. That man needs to wake up and realize that he is victimizing and raping are vulnerable people in our community, and that's not okay.
2: I'm wondering about the spiritual component um, in terms of you come in and and you rescue. Yeah. How does that come into play? What do you offer?
1: I mean, I'm a follower of Jesus. I've been on staff as a pastor for 20-something years. Our organization is based out of Antioch Community Church. Our staff are all followers of Jesus. Mm. We are compelled by our faith to go out into these vulnerable places. We also realize that every child out there boy or girl young woman has been victimized and traumatized greatly our purpose is to go and love them well to meet those needs give them the opportunity for greater health to get them connected to the resources that will help them and we pray for them like crazy Mm. we are very sensitive and you know we don't proselytize initially, those kinds of things, although I value that greatly. So thankful someone did me. Um, but we also understand that they're very vulnerable and they've been through traumatic situations. They've also not had freedom of choice. And so we're very careful about how we integrate our faith and our right. care. For these victims. But absolutely, we're lovers of Jesus, lovers of people, and that's why we're out there.
0: So if people want to help you guys, how can they best do that?
1: Honestly, the best way they can do that, number one, is financially. We have what we call Ignite Partners. We only ask for $22 a month or more, and that sustainable income helps us always have the resources to meet the needs of the victims that we have. So financially, any foundation that would like to talk to us, any grants, one-time offering, anything they can do financially is always an issue. We're thankful. People have been really good to us. Our needs are met, but it's an ongoing deal. Mm-hmm. So that's one. Second, we can always use volunteers. They can go on unboundnow.org, our website, sign up to be a volunteer. Um, and we have different areas from um, highly skilled um, needs. Trainers, things like that, to um, just people helping us at events. So that's those two are the main areas. The third would be any business, any school, classroom, assembly. We would like to train anywhere. We have 10 trained, excellent communicators to educate the community, different ones from, it can be from teachers to students to social service providers to the medical field to law enforcement. We take our professionals in and train on human trafficking, what to look for, how to build a great system within their network so that they can identify and save these um, individuals that are out there. So we would love to be invited free. Um, we do not charge to go out there and train.
0: And you mentioned your website. Is that the best way to get in touch with you guys?
1: Yes, unboundnow.org.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming in today. And then thanks for the great work that you're doing in the community through Unbound.
1: Well, thank you to Charity of Champions for supporting us and championing us. All right.
0: Thanks for listening to the Charity Champions podcast. If you're listening on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please take a moment and rate and review us. This helps our podcast reach more listeners. Have a charity you'd like to nominate for next season? Visit charitychampions.org slash nominate. You can also find more information on this podcast and all charity champions at charitychampions.org. And of course, tell all your friends. We'll see you next time.